This episode is brought to you in partnership with Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. CBTS is a confessional Reformed Baptist seminary which provides affordable online theological education to help the church in its calling to train faithful men for the gospel ministry. They are fully accredited by the Association of Reformed Theological Seminaries. You can learn more about them at their website, cbtseminary.org. Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. We pray you find this resource edifying, faithful to Scripture, and Christ-exalting. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. It's just me without my co-host, Jimothy Johnson. Uh, So, just me by myself here today. But I do have the privilege to uh, get to interview Alan Nelson IV. And we are going to be talking about rule church ministry. So, welcome to the podcast, Alan. It's great. Uh, it's great to be here, Austin. Thanks for having me on. Well, I'm looking forward to this conversation. So, uh, to get us jump started, can you tell us a little bit about the church that you are currently serving in? Perhaps um, you want to give some information about it. Perhaps its size, area, denominational affiliation, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I uh, I pastor, and some people um, joke about the name, but we are uh, called Second Baptist Church of Perryville, and we're a Southern Baptist church. I've pastored here uh, for four years, well, just just over actually, just over four years now, and uh, I'm I'm actually in my hometown, so that may even throw a little. You, this isn't my this isn't the church I, that I was saved and baptized in, but um, I have uh, I, I've been here. You know, this church has been around um, for, let's see, next year will be 25 years. So uh, we are, um, we're here in our hometown. The town itself is about 1,500 people. And we're in a county that is uh, just over 10,000 people. So our whole county has 10,000 people. And we're in the county seat of our county, and it has 1,500 people. So we are... uh, as for, we're, we're really rural, uh, as rural as rural can get, really, um, in Arkansas. And so we're a Southern Baptist church. Uh, we're a smaller church. Um, we probably, now the COVID numbers throw things off, but I was going to say before COVID, you know, we average in the 60s or so. Um, but recently, I would say our numbers have been, you know, around half or something, maybe a little more than half just depending, uh, you know, kind of doing some social distancing things. But anyway, that kind of gives you a side. We're, uh, uh, we're a Southern Baptist church, and so we are affiliated with the Arkansas Baptist State Convention and the uh, and the Southern Baptist Convention. So um, I think that answered all that, did it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so thank you for that. And uh, so you mentioned you serve in a rural uh, church. Have you always served in a rural church? Is this the first church you've served in? So I have uh, I've been in ministry of at least vocational ministry since 2006, okay. and um, it's always been in a rural context. Um, uh, we lived for a year in Kentucky. I was going to school at Southern, and I was a youth pastor there. Um, but that was, I, I was outside of Louisville in a, in a little community or 
out in a little town called Taylorsville, but even outside that town and a little community uh, known as Waterford. And it was, it was pretty rural. The biggest town, I guess, uh, I pastored at a church in Clinton, Arkansas. And I think Clinton is around 3,500 people. And then uh, I, my first church I, I actually pastored at was in DeWitt, Arkansas. And it, I think its population was around 3,500. So probably from most people's standards, those are all rural contexts. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, now that we know a little bit more about you and the churches that you've served in, uh, we're uh, excited to glean some of your thoughts about ministering in a rural church. So let's start with uh, preaching, proclaiming God's word. How is preaching to a congregation in a rural community different than perhaps other ministry contexts? Uh, more specifically, what challenges do you face as a pastor ministering in a rural church, specifically in the pulpit? And then once you've answered that, what joys are received from preaching to a rural church? Yeah, you know, um, in one sense, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to preach, um, you know, in, in different contexts and all that. Uh, um, in one sense, I would say preaching is preaching, you know, and so I think that's something that we all want to remember is that that preaching is preaching no matter if you're preaching to two people or 2,000 people or if you're preaching, uh, you know, in, in the jungles or, or in an established church or in a in an urban context or rural context. On one level, you know, preaching is preaching. A- at the same time, you're right. Um, there can be some unique challenges, I guess. And, 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 and one of the things is, um, you know, I, I think a lot of the way Jesus talks uh, in, in the gospels is almost can be anyway, more relatable sometimes in a, in a rural context, because that's, that's kind of who we are. I mean, we're not obviously not an agrarian society, but we, we are, we plant gardens and we, I mean, I don't, I'm not a gardener, but you know, the people here plant gardens and, and they farm and they raise cattle and they have horses. I mean, it's just all, you know, it's, it's a rural life. Um, so, you know, I, I I don't know really experientially what I would say the challenges are. It's just always it's it's just trying to bring the truth of God's word to uh, to this context, you know, and so making sure, you know, I, I don't I think there's some truth that maybe blue collar and white collar type people maybe think a little differently, you know. And we're, for the most part, uh, we're a blue collar type place. That's that's what rural Arkansas is. You know, people uh, people work in construction or they work in in. Uh, there's a paper mill not not far from where we're at, um, and so that's the kind of jobs. And so you want to preach in such a way that's understandable. I think I think the temptation for some rural church pastors, and and I know I'm sure I've been tempted this way too, is is to preach to. Uh, to people who aren't here, you know, or, or to preach to a congregation that you don't have or, or, you know, some a big city or, but that's not, that's not who you are. You're preaching to these people and this, and they need to hear the truth. And I'm a big proponent of taking the gospel to cities. Don't misunderstand me, but from my experience, um, and, and maybe you would say the same. I mean, the God, the rule, rule America needs the gospel too. Um, and so I think we need, this is a, a, a harvest here, a mission field, uh, 
and uh, people people in, in churches in these places need quality pastors to preach uh, to them. So um, you, do you have any thoughts or feedback on, on that or anything? Uh, yeah, with, with something that you just brought up, uh, ministering in rural America, and I think that this is something that you've spoke on the last time we had you in the uh, on the podcast, is that uh, us, both of us, have ministered primarily in the Bible Belt. Uh, what challenges do you think, as you preach, you experience as a pastor, knowing that you are ministering in the Bible Belt, where perhaps cultural Christianity around you is very prevalent? Yeah, that's that's good, brother. Um, you know, one of the things is, is so difficult, I think, about the Bible Belt is uh, there, there's so many, quote unquote, you understand how I'm saying this, good people. And what I mean is there's those, there's those folks that, you know, if, if you were stranded somewhere at 3 a.m. and in a storm and you had a flat tire, you could call them, you know, and they would uh, they'd come help you or whatever. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're regenerate. You know, I mean, they've just caught. The South is just a different place, culturally conditioned um, to be polite. And, you know, chivalry is, uh, I'm not going to say that it's alive and well in the South. It's certainly not, but more so than in other places, you know, just a, a kind of a code of conduct and the, and the way that you treat one another and the way that a, a man maybe treats a woman and those sorts of things. But the challenge is that. Uh, can give us uh, a superiority, like a moral superiority complex. And we can look around and we can think, well, we're better than another demographic. We're better than another uh, uh, location in the United States. And the truth is we're not. We we need to be born again. And so there's so many people that profess to be believers, but they have no real interest in the things of Christ and in, in the in the Bible, in 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 really where it's really prevalent is in functional members of the local church. So that's a big challenge here, you know, and you, you don't want to just preach to people as though they are lost, but you also want to keep in mind that some of the people perhaps you're preaching to have professed to be a believer, but they're not regenerate, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then lastly on this question, what are the joys that you receive feeding uh, your people continually God's word. You know, um, let me talk about some spiritual joys and then I'll talk about some uh, some some fleshly joys as well. But, you know, spiritually speaking, it is and I'm sure this is anywhere. I'm sure this is an urban context as well. But, you know, it's just great to be connected, to be involved in, in the rural setting. You know, everybody's right here. And so. I'm, I'm involved in people's lives, you know, when I coach sports and when I uh, volunteer on the local uh, sports board uh, that we have, youth pro, youth board that we have here here in town. Um, so it's just, it, it's amazing just to be involved in, in my people's lives so easily, you know, like I don't really have to work that hard to just be where our people are at, you know. Um, and so that's an amazing thing. And it's a joy to see them grow. And it's a joy to see them learn. Uh, it's a joy to see them, um, you know, to, to, to sit under the preaching of God's word with, with an eagerness. Um, and then I, I would add fleshly joys is in a rural context. Sometimes people bring you vegetables from their garden. You know? <laughs> and sometimes look, I had a deacon last year or maybe it was a year for one year. Um, 
called me and he showed up to my house with a cooler of deer meat, you know, and, uh, and, and not long ago, people gave us some squash and some cucumbers and, and they're always just giving us, you know, little gifts here or there, just super kind. Uh, and it's, and it's a great to, there's a, there's a culture of, uh, how a church should relate to its pastor, you know, and I think that, it's a good thing. And I'm not saying it's not in an urban context. I'm, I'm sure it, it certainly can be, but I do know it's here, you know? And so that's, uh, that's an encouraging, that's a joy, uh, to, to pastor a people like that. Hmm. Well, I have had the privilege to listen to you preach online and, uh, very, uh, grateful for your faithful preaching example. Many people can't see our, uh, video, call that we have going on right now, but Brother Allen has a poster on the back of his wall that says, Keruxon Tan Logon, preach the word. So I'm thankful for you as you preach the word, brother. But let's uh, move this conversation along from preaching to uh, perhaps ruling and, and leading decisions that have to be made as a pastor of a rural church. What difficulties or things do you go through that perhaps other Christians or other pastors that aren't in a rural congregation or rural church that they haven't considered that you go through? Yeah, you know, uh, this hasn't been so much so here at Prairieville Second Baptist, but one of the things that can be an issue in rural churches is just the singular pastor model, you know, and that's what we are here. Um, and, and I said before I came here, I talked to him about, plurality of elders. And that's just something that we've, it's just been a slow process. We've talked about it a little bit, but um, there's kind of been some more pressing things. And so that can really be a challenge. You know, here I have a great, we have four deacons at our church and we have a great relationship and we uh, really, I, I feel like encourage each other. And so I don't really have that much of an issue here, but I have ran into problems before where nobody understands really who's who's the leader you know and so the idea is people i've said long uh before unfortunately some people in rural churches they want a preacher they don't want a pastor so they want someone to come and preach on sundays and it's okay even if he quote unquote steps on their toes but don't pastor them don't like get in their way don't get in their lives and that sort of thing. And I've, I, I have at, at other churches have had some really difficult experiences with that, um, not understanding the, the function of a church. And, and part of that I'll put on pastors, because when you come to a rural church and you stay for 18 months and then you leave, and then so in the course of 10 years, they have five or six pastors, it's natural for the people to trust other leaders in the congregation that are there and why yeah. why should they trust you because you're going to be gone in a year and a half or, or two years or whatever and so um that that is that's that's something that can definitely be a, a challenge with with leadership um perhaps uh as we you don't have to address this specifically. This could be generalized, but, um, and I have never experienced this either, but I've heard of many pastors in small rural congregations that uh, have to 
delve into the politics of the community based upon people with certain last names. Do you think that this is common in rural churches? I think it can be. Um, I think I have had, you know, a little bit of experience with that. But the, the thing about a rural church is I don't want to say that it's like a it's not a, it's not necessarily written out anywhere, certainly not written out anywhere. And, and no one might even actually verbalize it. But there's a there's a suspicion, if you will, of outsiders. Because you have this close-knit community, and everybody kind of knows everybody, even for generations. And so if you don't know, say, if you don't know Bob over here, you know his grandparents, you know, and so that kind of gives Bob credibility. What happens is in rural churches, a pastor moves in, and, and you, don't, you don't know him, you know? And so I think uh, uh, he's got to get to know families and you know i've heard stories i haven't done this but i've heard stories of uh pastors you know tripping up on you know talking about this person with someone else and it's like hey that's my brother-in-law or whatever you know like didn't know you know but i haven't had that problem but i think um it's difficult to pastor uh, what you say about families in the political aspect it can be difficult to pastor a rural church because of that and it can take someone maybe five or ten years before they even begin to gain credibility. I think something that's the Lord's blessed us with here is that I mentioned at the beginning of the show that I'm from, I graduated from this town. And so I'm kind of an insider, but my family moved here when I was in first grade. So it's also, so it's also, it's, I kind of got the best of both worlds. I'm not like a full insider, you know, but I have been here long enough that uh, I feel like I, I've developed relationships and, and trust with people that it's not just, hey, who's this guy coming out here, you know, telling us how to live or whatever. So and my wife is my wife is from this community like generationally. So that helps as well. So for me, that's a help. And, um, you know, I haven't had to run into the political aspect, but I know it's out there and I've seen it and I've heard stories um in rural churches that that it can be it can be even within the church you know these two families get mad at each other right um so but paul had that in philippi you know i think about how he entreats yodius and syntyche agree you know well uh if that happened in the new testament under paul's leadership we can be certain that it can still happen today right right good thoughts and uh, thank you for that. Um, we've talked about some of your preaching experiences and joys and challenges and the same thing for uh, making ruling and leadership uh, decisions as a pastor. And uh, one thing that I know that you are uh, passionate about is writing for God's glory uh, for the church. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, some of the book projects you're working on? Yeah. Uh yeah, thanks for asking that. That's, that's it's good to talk about them because um, I'm kind of I, I, I've been working in in 2020 on two projects. Uh, one, I was encouraged, so I'm preaching through Genesis one through eleven right now, and a couple of church members encouraged me. You know, you ought to put this in book format, 
And, I, you know, I was like, whoa, you know, so I began and I realized I was going to have to just do the first three chapters of Genesis. And uh, and so it's like a hundred thousand word <laughs> uh, manuscript right now. But it's uh, that to put that in comparison, that's twice as long as as Before the Throne, which is my longest book. So it's 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 a pretty big project. And then the other. So on Wednesday nights, of all things, on Wednesday nights, when COVID had uh, happened and we dismissed Wednesday nights and I was just preaching online on Wednesday nights, I did a series on regeneration, you know, and so I'm actually going, I'm actually working on finishing a manuscript on regeneration as well. Um, Basically, it'll be like from death to life, diving in chapter four from death to life is called a change of heart. And so basically I'm diving into chapter four from death to life and expanding it and making it a single book uh, just to work through and think through um, monergism and its practical implications, you know, like why, why it matters. It's not just like something for us to discuss over coffee, but it actually matters practically. Um, so really it's going to be three, a three part book. First part, this is what regeneration is. The second part, this is why it matters. And the third part, I'm actually going to include four sermons, a sermon from Benjamin Keach, a sermon from George Whitfield, uh, a ser- and a sermon from um, Jonathan Edwards, and a sermon from Charles Spurgeon on regeneration. So those are that's what I'm working on right now. And um, I found in both of these projects, it's uh, they've been an overflow of preaching and teaching. And I found that that's brought a lot more joy, I think, because probably because of the timing issue. You know, it's not like, hey, I'm going to preach on this over here and then I'm going to go write about this over here. But I've kind of been able to to wed those two things. And I've I've found a lot of joy in these two projects. And I don't know, Lord willing, brother, maybe the end of this year, I'll have them out. So we'll see. (laughs) Uh, so you've mentioned what you're working on right now um, and kind of uh, mixing this with your experiences of ministering in rural churches. How has your writing ministry been shaped by what you have experienced as a rural church pastor? Yeah, a lot of my a lot of my writing, you know, or, OK, all of my writing, you know, technically is from the perspective of a rural church pastor, you know? And so a lot of the illustrations I have um, and a lot of the life experiences I have in the ministry are directly from the rural church. Now, I think I think there's obviously some application across the board, um, but, you know, there are some things, I guess, that, uh, that I see that I hope is offering a unique, you know, a unique perspective. I mean, from death to life, for just a quick example, from death to life is really like what we talked about earlier. It's it it's born out of, you know, a desire to see people truly born again, truly be Christians, um, not just saying a prayer or whatever, but but truly understand how salvation works. And so, um, and then you know, before the throne, before the throne was similar. And that is, I want people to see who God is. And from my experience, again, it comes to that cultural type Christianity where people, some people just check the box, but they aren't in awe of the holiness and wonder of our great God. So, yeah, definitely everything I write really has that is going to have that rural church pastor flavor, you know, for better, for worse. 
that it is what it is. At least, at least they can't hear my accent when they read. <laughs> well, same for your podcast listeners. <laughs> well, this next part certainly has some overlap, and I'm sure you just addressed it right now. But uh, what are your goals as you write in the churches that you minister in? Yeah, you know, when I write, I at first I. I didn't know how this would come across, but people have complimented. And so I, I feel, I feel very encouraged by that. Um, before the throne exists only because of people encouraging about from death to life. And so the way that I write, I try to write toward the person sitting in the pew, you know, of, I, I, I try to balance depth. I think people should learn, you know, you can't come at rural church folks and say, you know, well, we're just, you know, y'all just aren't smart enough or whatever. Of course, yes, they are, you know, and, and you think about they, uh, their children are learning big words in chemistry, you know, and biology. So we can learn big words too. So I'll try to balance, you know, depth and also relatability and talking to uh, and, and, and trying to connect to the person in the pew. Unfortunately for too many people, and I think this is to our detriment, too many people don't understand theological jargon. And I don't mean that we just, you know, spout off words to act like we're smart. But I mean, there are certain words, for example, propitiation comes to mind, that the average pew sitter should know, even though they don't use that word, perhaps in everyday conversation, there's some words that they should know. So, so I write with the goal of connecting and also educating and growing those who are in the pew and Obviously, it's not just for people in rural churches, but that's who I have first and foremost. I think about when I'm writing, I think about our church and I think about my kids. And I, I know that's kind of silly, but I don't expect my kids to read it, but I hope one day they will. And that kind of a motivation uh, in, in my writing as well. And so the overarching goal, I know it's silly, you know, or, or cliche, I should say, not silly, but kind of cliche. The overarching goal, though, really is the glory of God. And I hope that the Lord will be pleased to use these books, um, you know, just in, in any way he, he will. And so uh, that's the, the feedback I've gotten has really motivated me to just, you know, keep going. Well, uh, as we've talked about your writing projects and your preaching ministry, you seem to have had success and support as a pastor theologian serving in God's rural churches. And uh, such is not always the case in rural churches. Uh, some rural churches have a sense of anti-intellectualism or anti-theological uh, content being produced. So what encouragement or instructions would you give to a pastor that is trying to shape their church ministry with a biblical theological foundation rather than a pragmatic one of just doing what works to get people to come to church. Yeah. Oh man. I, I, I could say because I've, I've been, um, I've been in places where you just, you preach the Bible and you just, it feels like your church is shrinking, you know, and you, and you look around and, and you see other people doing other things that you don't think they should be doing pr uh, pragmatic sort of, things and and they seem to be growing and then you just and i've spent those mornings you know on the floor 
pleading with the Lord, why, uh, please just let the gospel work, you know, and just show forth your glory in the, in the preaching of the gospel. And so I guess one thing I would say is to my brother pastors, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I'm by no means an expert and no one's ever going to write, um, or ask me to, to, to come speak at a big conference about how to grow your church real fast or whatever, because, you know, that's, that's not what, what we're doing here. But I would say to my fellow pastors, you know, you don't have an option on whether or not you're going to be a pastor theologian. You know, that's what God has called you to be. And even if you chose to Amen. go the pragmatic route, you're still let the hearer understand a pastor theologian. The problem is you're just being a really bad theologian. Um, so my encouragement is to stick to it and to preach. You know, um, there's different philosophies out there about this, but preach, you know, preach expositionally. And I don't mind preaching long expositional series. Um but I know some have an issue with it, but like right now we're on Genesis one through 11 and we're on week 52, you know, um, I'm not saying there's a one size fits all. I'm saying be wise with your people. Um, but you know, preach through books of the Bible and, and just show them your love for the Bible. Talk about it. And, and one of the things this advice was given to me by a pastor friend, meet with your men and, 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 and just, read the Bible with them. You know, right now we meet on Thursday mornings with some of our older men. I try to meet once a month with some of our younger men. Um, that doesn't always happen, but you know, meet separately at times when you can and just, you know, pour forth because theology is going to be, has to be derived from the scriptures and you'll get your people to love theology quicker through the scriptures. than you will to just say, Hey, let me just throw out these words every now and then, but show them from the scriptures theology. Um, that's what I've found anyway. And I think that that is uh, people who are genuinely believers. They love the scriptures. And so they may have a hard time sometimes with some of these big words. Start with the scriptures, then work into these theological concepts and uh, and and just keep going. And Because at the end of the day, it's... <laughs> At the end of the day, you, you you're going to stand before the Lord one day and give an account, and so just know that you are called to be a pastor theologian, and um, you know I've had the emails not not here, praise God, but I've had the emails and the phone calls, people calling me and say, you need to preach twenty minute sermons, and people email me and show me studies and say, only twenty minutes, people can only endure twenty minutes, and I've been profoundly discouraged by that kind of stuff before in my life but thankfully the lord didn't let me quit and so i just say don't quit keep going um seek you know if you're if you're a pastor and you're trying to do these things and you're discouraged please reach out because there are so many brothers out there that are willing i know uh to help you even brothers you think well they would never respond to me reach out to them and, and just see because uh, we've all been there and I, I still get discouraged sometimes, you know, but at the end of the day, that's our calling. So get in the pulpit, open the Bible and be the pastor theologian uh, that God has called you to be. Amen. Amen. 
Well, uh, we have two more questions, and this one's piggybacking off of the last one. Yeah. Um, this could be especially relevant for the Southern Baptist uh, churches that both of you and I minister in. Uh, many people, when they look at big Eva or mega churches or even large Southern Baptist churches, they think that the numerical size of a congregation automatically equals success. And I know that we could do a whole nother podcast right now about what makes a successful and healthy church. But with the time that you want to spend on this biblically, what is a successful and a healthy church? Well, uh, yeah, that's uh, I, I want to be careful, you know, because I, I think we can go the opposite and say automatically if it's a big church, they're wrong, you know, but right. I, that's that's not true. You know, and um, a, a healthy church, um, one of my uh, one of my friends in the ministry is Jeff Johnson. He's from Conway, uh, Arkansas, which is just down the road. And um, they have a uh, they have a, a saying in their church. It's called known for the gospel. You walk into the church and you see that known for the gospel. Well, that's a good start for what makes a healthy church. And that is why, what is your church known for? It's not for the demographic. It's not for the music. It's not for a particular program or whatever. Your church is known for the gospel. You know, so a healthy church uh, needs to be ordered rightly, needs to have a healthy understanding of membership um, that can be difficult. That's something we're working through here. Uh, we've been working through for the four years here. Uh, but a healthy understanding of membership, a healthy understanding of the preaching, and then a, he- a healthy understanding of of what the church is. You know, of uh, uh, it's a it's a it's a body of committed believers. You know, there should be no such thing as uh, you know halfway members or whatever, or or uh, non-active members. That's the word I'm looking for. And, uh, and then the church should be known for the gospel. What you get, if you come here at Perryville Second Baptist Church, this is my hope, what you come here for is Christ. You know, not, I'm not opposed to having a ministry for children. We try to do that. A ministry for senior adults. We try to do those sorts of things. But all that is pointing to it's Christ. That's the draw here. We here, we want to be, known for the gospel as well, though that's not written anywhere in our church. Um, that's sort of the mentality I have. We want to be known for the gospel. So a, a healthy church needs to uh, to preach the gospel and to be ordered, you know, rightly. Obviously, we could talk forever about, you know, ordinances and all those sorts of things. Um, but this is, uh, you know, I, I guess I just kind of stake my flag there that uh, a healthy church has to have the gospel at its center and the preaching of the gospel as its, uh, as its mission. So anything I can clarify on that? I don't know. <laughs> kind of. No, I think I, I know what you mean by that. I think, uh, you're very clear that the gospel needs to be focused and centralized in all that the church does to be a healthy and a successful church. Um, my last question for you, as we have been talking about rural church ministry, what final encouragements would you give to either a young pastor, an old pastor, a middle-aged pastor, any pastor that pastors in a rural church ministry context? Yeah. Um, you know, things, things can be discouraging, but I would, you know, it doesn't matter what 
context you're pastoring in. Pastoral ministry can just be discouraging. But I would say to uh, to those in the ministry, um, you 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 know what you're to do, and so keep keep doing it. One thing I would say is, um, rural churches have got to stop being stepping stones. Um, I, it's not wrong to leave a church, okay. Um, however, if if you're if you're a pastor, it's possible one of the reasons you're discouraged is because none of the big churches are looking at you or whatever. You know, maybe you're sending out your resumes and you're discouraged. Nobody's looking at you. Think about how blessed you are for just a moment that you get to pastor Christ Church. Like what a calling it is. Like you don't deserve that. <laughs> you deserve way, way worse than the fact that you get to stand in a pulpit and preach the uh, to herald the unsearchable riches of Christ in his gospel. So so sometimes we can get discouraged because we, we get to thinking that, um, I guess maybe as we say in, the, in a rural church, your britches are a little too big, right? You get to get to be, you get to thinking that you're a little bigger than you are. So remind yourself of the gospel in the sense of God has called you, God has chosen you, God has equipped you to pastor his people. And don't take that lightly, you know, be, be grateful for the church that you have instead of looking, looking, you know, down the road for uh, for a new church or whatever. Um, and then the, the other thing I said is kind of back to what I said earlier. Uh, regardless of what other churches may be doing, you you know what you're called to do. So keep doing that and keep pressing on knowing who you will have to answer to. And, uh, and then, of course, in, the encouragement I said earlier, I'd say this again. There's a camaraderie sometimes between pastors. So don't be afraid to reach out and, and preferably it's great. Like I kind of mentioned earlier, reaching out online, but also you might be surprised if you do a little digging around that there's some like-minded brothers that are closer to you than you thought and make a point to meet with them because there's things that you can talk to them about and pray with them about and share with them that you, you can't even talk to anyone else about. Like, like for example, even my own, wife i i can share with her things but there are things that when i share with another pastor that we can relate to that you know like my wife she'll encourage me uh and she's a wonderful pastor's wife but there are things that even with her it's difficult to share and and for her to understand and so i encourage you don't go this alone um because that, that can be one of the toughest things. You need someone sometimes just to text frustrations to, you know, or whatever, or, or prayer request or whatever. So um, those are some things that have really benefited me, I guess, over the, the last uh, few years. Well, Alan, I thank you for uh, taking this amount of time to talk about this important topic. And uh, I'm thankful for you and uh, the ministry context that you're serving in and thankful for uh, your willingness to join us. So thank you for today for coming on. Well, Austin, it's a, it's a privilege, brother, to uh, to be invited on. And I hope, I hope uh, the Lord will just use some of our conversation to uh, encourage and challenge other brothers out there. Amen. Well, and to our listeners, grace and peace to you. For additional content, check out our blog ministry at covenantconfessions.com. 
Also, keep up with our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Next, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Lastly, thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.